You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I always get in trouble for stepping on this little, the, the cord and everything. So when uh, Jed wiggles it around, it makes me feel better. Then I can blame him if it doesn't work later. Um, welcome this morning. Glad you're here. Um, it's interesting. It's always interesting to me whenever we have a catechism. So I didn't look at the catechism because I'm a sinner. And I didn't look at it beforehand, but it, is, it ties to what we're, what we're teaching this morning. And, uh, you know, working our way through uh, uh, 1 Corinthians and then the, the scripture, like the, the high point scripture, if we could, and now all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then we're going to look at, at what things, what things were written. But um, uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm telling you with fear and trepidation in my heart, do I, do I go the direction I'm going to go? And I, I don't intention, I don't come week after week with the intent to to uh be offensive or to be you know uh what's the word you know stay, step on people's toes just steer up stir up the folks or whatever that's not the game the game is to read the bible and to preach the bible and just do what the bible says for us to do that's that's it's not a game the reality is the thing to do that's what we're doing and it struck me i was reading a spurgeon devotion it had nothing to do with with this, but something in what he wrote triggered this thought in my mind <clears throat> that God used men to write his word, right? It says that God, holy men of God wrote as they were prompted by the Holy Spirit, right? The, the holy men of God wrote it down. And, and we say, well, we, this man, I was talking to this man on the side of the road. I would have talked longer, but it was like 20 degrees and I, I just, I could see that it wasn't going anywhere, but he's like, if God came down, I've told you this before, if God came down right now, just if he was just here for a second, I'd believe everything that was in the Bible. I'm like, you either believe the Bible or you don't. Because I'm going to tell you that every time man makes contact with God, truly, we see the witness in the Bible are those that have had these kind of supernatural experiences and so on. They always do the same thing. It says he fell as isn't a dead man. These are righteous guys. These aren't Dale guys. These aren't us kind of guys. These are like really righteous guys. You know, most righteous men alive at the time, Isaiah, Daniel, John, and they see God in person. They're taken into heaven. When they see him, they fall down as dead men. And when they're speaking, what God speaks, it goes in, but they can't compute. It's too much. The reason God used holy men of God to write down is because he had to use men to speak to men. The reason he sent Jesus as a man is because Jesus as God, God in the flesh, but as a man is at a level so far superior to what man is that, that man can't relate. We can relate to a man. We can't relate to God. God had to send the mediator, Jesus Christ, the man, Christ Jesus. God had to send the mediator to speak to men. The reason God allowed men, God spoke through men, men wrote it down, was because when God's talking, we can't. It's, it's, like, it's like going to a scientific American meeting. You're just a dummy sitting on the road. You don't know what they're talking about. It's like going to, the, going to court if you're not a lawyer and they're speaking in this Latin legalese that you don't know. You, I don't know. Did I just end up with jail for 20 years or did I just get off? I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about. They're using words I don't understand. And it's, you remember with Daniel, at the end God says, oh, that's enough. Daniel's took enough. It's all he can stand. He starts to panic. Daniel starts to panic. In the last chapter of Daniel, chapter 12, 
If you read it, you read those last three or four verses and see how Daniel responds. And the Lord says, enough. Close the book. This is beyond what you can take, Daniel. Daniel, man, this guy's spending hours a day in prayer. Hours communing man as one friend to another with God. And when God is completely revealed in his holiness, his sovereignty, and Daniel's sitting before him, he's like, I can't take it. It's too much. I don't, I don't understand. I'm just... So what God wrote here, I'm sorry, friends, what God wrote here was a children's book to children. This is, this is written on a level that we can understand. And as we've been preaching the last couple of weeks, and some people have been offended by what was said, I'm telling you, it was written so children could understand. It doesn't mean you won't be offended by it. But it was written so you could understand it. The simplest of men can read God's word and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the most highly intelligent men can read God's work and be stymied by it until their dying day and can never plumb the full depths of it. So it was written as a children's book to children, us, the children of God, to his people whom he cares for. So he wrote it to us for our edification, our building up. So like I said, though the writings may be difficult to accept, they're not difficult to understand. So much of what we believe of the Bible, of anything, I'm going to tell you, this is a truth, this is a Dale truth, but it's no less true. So much of what you know and you believe, what you think you know and what you believe, what you think you believe, you believe and you know because someone that you trust very much told you it to be true. Okay? So, so much of what we know about the Bible or about theology or about whatever, somebody told us, we trusted them, we assumed that they fact-checked it, Right? They snoped it, and then they told us, and so, oh, we can try. I mean, I mean, that guy, I mean, look at him. He's got a house and two kids and a car, and he must be okay. Doesn't seem to be running from the law. I can trust that guy, right? I mean, he's a, a pastor or a professor or whatever. But the reality is, the Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing, correctly understanding the word of truth. Rightly dividing means you read the word, you read it in a proper way, and you understand it correctly, and you take it apart, and you put it back together in the correct way. It doesn't say, it, I mean, it, pastors have a place, professors have a place, teachers have a place. Yes, all those things is true. But the Bible says what it says. So much of what we have done with the church over time, over the last 2,000 years in particular, is we've, kind of like the Pharisees did, we gained a lot of tradition, and it was, it was a little bit dangerous. Because it seemed like really good. We kind of added law to the law to make it better and more, more Bible-y, more, more betterer, just to make us a better, you know, I'm just, as long as I'm better than you, that's all that really matters. As long as I'm more spiritual than you kind of thing. And we had levels of spiritualness, you know. We got our priests and then the under-priests and then the bishops and the, all these other jokers. They got cardinals and I don't even know what all the stuff are. But all these levels of authority within different churches, not just the Christian church, the Catholic church, Episcopalian, whatever, and they got all these levels, and different guys know different stuff. But if this, or rabbis, they got the same thing. These more greater rabbis, you know. Gamaliel's one of them. They still quote that guy today. Okay, he's this top dog rabbi. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes down to it, um, Gamaliel's in the grave and the worms ate him. But God's word stands forever. Got to go back to the word. Make sure what the word says is correct. Though it's difficult to accept, it's not difficult to understand. So we are going to skip intentionally. I was thinking about being a bully and throwing it off on, on Jed to preach for the next couple of weeks. 
um, 8 and 9. And in there you'll find the, the role of the pastor and the care of the body for the pastor. But I'm going to be merciful to him. <laughs> I think next week we're going to talk about, um, what are we going to talk about? Uh, Feast of Purim. And, uh, and how that ties, but it ties, it all, it's all tied together. But next week is Feast of Purim, so that's a book of Esther. Um, it's just where it falls on the calendar. And so we'll talk about that, and we'll tie it to uh, Corinthians, I'm sure. But, uh, but we are intentionally skipping those, because I want to get to 1 Corinthians 10 11. We're not going to read all of 11. We're going to read a big part of 10, and we're going to read a part of 11 today. And I want you to go there with me, because we're going to have communion the first of the month. And I, it just all works together. And in God's timing... I saw we talked about the Sabbath this morning. We're going to talk about the Sabbath rest as well. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, if you would. And we'll read from 1 to verse 22, I believe. Let me, let me make sure. Yes, 22. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 22. <clears throat> Got a little sinus thing going on there, so I uh, might have a little... I'll do the best I can, not cough on the microphone. Moreover, brethren, I would not... I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them that rock was Christ but with many of them God was not well pleased <clears throat> for they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three thousand and uh, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur ye, and some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. There, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are they not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What shall I say then? <clears throat> that the idol is anything, or that which is offered to sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of the devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So I'm reading this. I read this during the week multiple times. And I'm trying to put this together. And I read it again this morning and the light comes on. It's how it works. The way we digest the word of God is we read it over and over and it goes into the little supercomputer right there and it gets mulled over and then the spirit pulls on different words and it's, 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 that's how it works. And the more you read it, the more you understand and I, the clarity that I received is goes back to the same thing we've been talking about. It's about this division in the church thing and the, the thing that, that I was frustrating people with over the last couple weeks unintentionally, but it's the same thing. It's, and such were some of ye. But no longer you've been sanctified and justified and purified and holified and 
and now you're usable. Such were some of you. This was you. Paul's talking to this group of people in Corinth, and he's saying, stop bringing the world into the church. That's what he's saying. Stop bringing the world into the church. Don't lust after evil things like they lust. Don't be an idolater. Don't be messing around. Don't commit fornication. Uh, don't be tempted as some, as some would tempt Christ. Don't be a murmurer. Don't be this negative... Uh, don't be, <laughs> you know where I was going right there. Don't be this negative uh, uh, a person always looking. Don't be the critical analyzer of every word spoken from the pulpit or from others. Um, all these things these people did, and God's discipline on them, it says, happened to them as examples to us as an admonition. Here's a warning. My poor oldest daughter, the other kids had it made in the shade. She made all the mistakes. She got beat, and the other kids watching like, ah, Dad says don't do that. That's what happened here. It's the same thing. Sorry, Chris. I love you, honey. It's what happened. One guy has to break the ice, right? She was the icebreaker. She wasn't afraid. The, the, the Jews, the Israelites coming out, they goofed up everything possible to goof up. By God's grace, we can observe them and see where they fell away and where their hearts were hard and where they had murmured against God and tempted God and so on. And we can see how God disciplined them so that we don't have to go through the same kind of discipline in order to follow well. And it says in verse 12, so verse 11 says, these were given as an admonition. It's an example and admonition. But then verse 12 says, you, Mr. Watcher, let him that think he standeth take heed lest he fall. While you're watching, like, I would never do that. Careful. That's the first step towards destruction right there. I would never do that. I'll never have an affair on my wife. Never. Man, be careful. I'd never take something that wasn't. Be careful. You just hadn't been the right thing. Hadn't been the right woman. Hadn't been the right looking woman, the right looking man. They hadn't said the right thing to you. Be careful standing on the sidelines and shooting at people that are on the playing field. Therefore, there's no temptation that's overtaking you except what's common to man. You've been tempted. Other people have been tempted. Different people have fallen. Look at their failures in the falling and don't follow them in that. But be careful. You'll be tempted just as they were. And that's the point of this whole of, of chapter 10 as we get up to, their, to that um, 16, which is what I really want to focus on. I, I had to read that over and over till I saw that, is that, is that um, that's us. That's this church. This is you. I was telling Jed this. Well, I don't know who I was telling. I was talking to you, Jed, or I was talking to Isaac. But uh, one of you guys with brown hair was in my office this morning. We were talking about this. And in this fellowship, I can honestly say, I mean, I know a majority of you quite well in one way or another. And I know that a majority of this church is pretty consistent about reading the Bible in their homes. A vast majority vast majority of this church reads the Bible in their home. A vast majority of this church um, listens to preaching on the radio. A vast majority of this church uh, listens to Christian music. A vast majority of this church reads Christian devotionals and tries to be careful about what they take in through their eyes through regular television and so on like that. That can't be said of all churches everywhere, but by God's grace and his blessing and your 
spiritual growth and maybe from stuff that's been preached or just we just got a good bunch of people I don't know but one way or another for the most part for this church people are pretty consistent about reading the word here in fact when we when I go to people like hey man you know I'm talking to them like what are you reading or whatever they always got something they got some oh yeah I was listening to this thing there's some guy sent me a devotional whatever so they're actively searching out the word of God okay and that's a super positive. So I want to start with that because because what, how I'm going to say this today, I'll say it wrong. You'll be mad and think that I just didn't know that you said the Lord's Prayer this morning before you came or something. That's not the point. Be encouraged beforehand. I know, I know your works. And I know your hearts. And for the most part, uh, this fellowship is very devout in, in reading the Word, studying the Word, looking for God, looking for His hand on stuff, looking to serve, looking to act. I mean, it's, it's a very positive thing. So don't, don't take it too strongly what we're going to talk about. And, uh, but hear me, okay? So go to 1 Corinthians there, uh, 10 again, and let's reread this right here. I speak as to wise men, my friends, like I just told you. Judge you what I say. Zach, is it possible that we could turn uh, some air on or something? Because you'll see a guy drooped over this thing here in a minute. Um, the difference in height right here, plus this height right here, it's tremendous. It's quite warmish over here, right, right in here. <laughs> Give me a sombrero. I'm too close to the sun or something, man. It's a bake in my head. Uh, okay, so again, I'm speaking to wise men. I'm speaking to people that I know are reading the word. Okay, so, so, so hear me. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the co communion of the blood of Christ, the bread in which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What cup is the cup of blessing? So, so I know I'm taking this out of context a little bit, but I want to focus on one thing, and this is this this Sabbath cup, but um, one thing that's going on with the feast days in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, is it's, um, you, you know when the kids were little and you were trying to teach them stuff in vacation Bible school or, or whatever, and you'd have them dress as Romans or you'd have them dress up as Jesus and Mary or what? Why did we do it? We did it so that they would remember, right? We gave them a physical thing that they could hold on to so they could remember the thing. The reason we have cake at birthday parties is because we celebrate the birthday party and then the kid remembers the cake and we take the picture of the kid mushing cake all over himself, you know. We do it. It's a memory thing that's attached to the physical thing that we did, right? The cup of blessing and the bread that Christ told us to do until he returns is a physical reminder that puts into our mind by, by going through these motions of touching the bread and drinking the wine and talking about it and, and having time together in Passover or, or in a, a, a Sabbath meal or whatever. The, when we do those things, we do them as a physical reminder that's going to carry with us as we go about our days in the week. And sometimes things like these are the things that keep us from doing evil later on in the week because we just did this thing that was a physical reminder of the one who died for us. Or these families, these particularly close families, a lot of times the, the relationships that the parents have with the kids through vacationing and doing things with their family, working together or whatever, um, it will keep the kids oftentimes, even if they're not necessarily Christians, uh, just they have a moral code and for fear of offending their parents, it will keep the kids from doing bad things because of the offense it would cause the parents. 
because they have these physical reminders of the things that they did together as a family. You understand what I'm trying to say there? Maybe, sort of. So this is, so this whole chapter, 10 and 11, is about uh, making a clear distinction for the Corinthians about the way they used to live and how they should be living now. And it's interesting because he's talking to people here that are more Gentiles than Jews, but he's talking about a very Jewish thing right here. It's obviously about uh, Passover. It's either about Passover or it's about the Sabbath. And you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, and you'll see the same thing. It says, let us keep the feast. It says, without leaven, right? Well, what feast is he talking about? He's talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? So he's talking to Gentiles, but he's talking about a feast. He's talking about a biblical feast that's, we would, many people, United States of America, Christian churches would say, well, that's an Old Testament thing or a Jewish thing or Israel thing, and it's not for us. Then why is Paul talking about it? If it's not for us, why is he talking about it? Why does he reference it? Why does he keep going back to it? And why does he keep trying to go back to Jerusalem every time there's a feast? It has an impact. It has a purpose. What's the purpose? Well, the first thing we've got to see is, well, and we've talked about before, the four cups of Passover, if you've ever been to a Passover Seder or whatever. So there's four cups. And the first cup is sanctification. The next is deliverance. The next is redemption. And the last is restoration. And then there's a fifth cup that we don't drink, the cup of Elijah, for Elijah if he was to come. And that's supposed to be the return of the Messiah, you know, him, him pre-coming, the, you know, the precursor of Messiah. Well, we know Messiah has come. Messiah didn't touch the cup of Elijah. He drank from the cup of redemption. This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Pick up that cup. And that's the one. And in the fourth cup, he said, I'm not going to drink this with you. Not until in the future, the cup of restoration, when you're in paradise with me. Then we'll drink that cup together. Because you'll be fully restored. You'll be fully sanctified. You'll be in the, the heavenlies with Christ. We're going to have a big Passover meal, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he's going to raise up the cup of of restoration and all is going to be made new it's going to be a new heaven and new earth and it's all going to make sense we're going to be like oh we should have been taking a passover hmm. who who to thunk it it's going to make sense then but until then us fallen pitiful little people here we're trying to figure it out by reading his word and this third cup the cup of redemption or of salvation it says this cup of blessing which we bless and so it's seen this cup of blessing which we bless it's it's seen in two different holidays so the highest holiday believe it or not of the jews is not Passover or Tabernacles. It's the Sabbath. So every Friday on the Sabbath, it's their first and holiest holiday because they do it every week, once a week, 52 times a year. They're going to do that. And, uh, and it's, it's important. And if I read what God's Word tells me, it tells us, six days shall ye work, and the seventh you're supposed to what? Rest. That's what it says. And then I can go into the next part of the Bible and I can see where God severely disciplined the Israelites for 70 years because for 490 years they did what they wanted on the year of Jubilee and on the Sabbath day and things like that. They just lived their life, did their thing. They ignored the Sabbath rest. So as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, are we to observe the Sabbath? And, and another thing we do, a lot of people, and I've heard it taught many times, it says, we, we read the Ten Commandments, and we would say, if I said to you, is it, wrong to, is it wrong to murder there, Zach? Would you say that's wrong, pretty much? Is it wrong to commit adultery, Zach? Wrong to steal? Is it wrong to uh, dishonor your parents? Um, 
But then you say, is it okay to do what you want on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Why? If the Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments, why is the Sabbath? Well, it's not mentioned in the New Testament. Yes, it is. It's all over the New Testament. But we don't like that part. <laughs> we don't like that part too much. So is this weekly observation of the day of rest, in it, it comes this constant reminder, this physical reminder for any household that observed the Sabbath, this constant reminder that God is, and he's a, a blesser of those who diligently seek him, right? And, um, and I, what, I under, what I have come to understand is, I don't think we see the ble- we see the blessings of God differently uh, for sure than the, that that early those early Jewish people. The blessings, of, like I go to Peru, and the blessings of God are far different there than they are here. So you go there and you have a meal, and the meal is considered a blessing to have a meal. And to us, if we don't have three meals a day with some ice cream and some dessert of some sort, you know what I'm saying? We're like we got robbed. But in Peru, it's not that way. I mean, I went to the schools there years ago, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the kids got off, and they got their meal for the day, and it was this little hard baseball-sized piece of bread, really dense, in a plastic bag, and that was the meal for the day. There was no breakfast, there was no lunch, and there was no dinner. This is the meal. This cup of blessing, which we blessed, they, man, they guarded that thing. A lot of the kids gobbled it down right then, but a lot of them took it home. And I watched that day after day, and I thought, man... To receive food on a daily basis is a great blessing. And it's a blessing that comes from God. And it's part of the Sabbath rest, the recognition of the blessing that it comes from God. I wanted to read you these prayers. These are kind of traditional Sabbath prayers, and I wanted to, and I'll ask you some questions about it. This prayer is somewhat long. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, Master of the universe, who nourishes the whole world in goodness with grace, kindness, and compassion. He gives bread to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. And through his goodness we have never lacked, nor will we lack food forever, for the sake of his great name, for he is God, who nourishes and sustains all and does good to all, prepares food for all his creatures which he created. Blessed are you, Lord, who nourishes all. Amen. The compassionate one, may he make us inherit the day that is completely good. The compassionate one, may he make us worthy of the days of Messiah and the life of the world to come. He's a tower of salvation to his king, and he does chesed, which is unconditional loving kindnesses, to his anointed to David and his seed forever. May he who makes peace in his heights make peace upon us and upon all Israel. And ye say, Amen. Would that be bad every Friday night, getting on to dark, to have your family to sit together and pray that prayer? How many people ate dinner on Friday? Everybody had supper of some sort on Friday night, right? Everybody? Except for these really skinny girls over here. They're like, I don't ever eat. Eat more. Loretta's got a sign that says, uh, eat more cake, it makes, it, it makes you harder to kidnap. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we're, we're having this meal on Friday night anyway. What can we do as Christians who desire to see our children fall in Christ for the long run? What we, could we do to make this following of Christ a more tangible thing. The first thing that they do is they have a candle. We went to uh, Zarina Rawweiser's house one time, and I mean, she put on the spread. And she's a Messianic Jewish lady here in town. And um, 
and she went through the whole thing for us and stuff, me and Sarah Pritchard. I mean, it was great. But the first thing she does is the, the, mother, the, the mother figure of the home lights this candle and thanks God for bringing light into the world. That's a pretty good picture, isn't it? Who sent the light into the world? The Father sent the Son, the light of the world, into the world that men might be saved through Him. We can't do that once a week. And then, before you have the meal, you take communion. Every Friday, the Father stands up and He has a cup of grape juice, wine, whatever, and He takes of that, this cup's called a Kiddush cup, and He pours it out of one cup into everyone's cup, just like Christ did. Just like it. And he passes it to each cup of the family. They take the cup and they have this bread chala and they eat the bread. And then they sit down and have a meal together. And at the meal we're not talking about, well, I mean, we can talk about whatever. You can talk about sports, talk about whatever. But you start the meal with a focus on the one that provided everything for you. And you do it week after 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 week. Talk to your children when they get up and when they lie down and they go by the way and when you walk beside them and when you work with them and when you eat with them. What a way to do it. I think we're missing out by not doing that. And I think the point is too is this, this focus on the God who provided all these things. We, this little boy, he prayed the other day. He goes, he goes thank you for giving me the things I don't need. That was old Dave Muster boy. He's a bandit, man. For him to break that one out, I was like, what in the world? <laughs> but that's the truth. This prayer is the things that you need is food and shelter and he's and clothes, and he's provided those for you in abundance. How many here's only got a single set of clothes? How many here's got 30 sets of clothes? Right? We got, we got abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, more than we can ask or think. We already have it. That's why we don't think to ask. Because we've already got more than we can stand. It's a burden to us. We have so much clothes, we give clothes away. They don't give clothes away in Peru. They wear the same clothes every day, and somehow they keep them really clean. I don't know how they do that. This cup of blessing, which we bless, it's included every Sabbath. Psalm 116, um, I had Grace read that this morning because it's so... It's actually tied to this day, this Sabbath day, but we don't see it because we're not, we're not Jewish and we don't exist in a Jewish culture. But it's King David um, honoring the Sabbath. And I want to just show you what it says there. It's uh, starting there about verse 12. So this is, this is part of this prayer that you would could traditionally say they would read psalm 116 and they would also ring read of uh, psalm 136 which is that one his mercy endures forever it's got a little line and in his mercy endures forever but in verse 12 it says what shall i render unto the lord for all his benefits to me what's the least i could do no that's, that's the wrong answer what shall i render unto the lord for all his benefits towards me i'll take the cup of salvation and i'll call upon the name of the lord the father at the table and he picks up the cup. What could, I, what could I give to the Lord for all that he's... Jed, what could you give to the Lord for all that he did for you? So you had all the work you wanted, right? You're more than enough, right? Kids are healthy. Wife's healthy. Grandma's 
healthy. Everybody's doing, I mean, what's, David wasn't asking, what's the least I can do? What could I possibly give God for all that he's given to me? Well, I'm going to tell you what, I ain't giving up my Friday nights. Sure ain't giving up my Saturdays. Sure ain't going to give up an hour. I mean, an hour on Sunday is plenty, right? And he provides our every breath, our every meal. I was watching these two little birds this morning. They were so, I don't even know what kind they were. They were really goofing around underneath our carport there, looking for a place to build a nest. And it was just real pretty watching them do their thing. They weren't starlings. If they were starlings, I would have shot them. I was so sick of them things, peeling up my trim. Those are some kind of devil bird. They came after the fall. But these were pre-fall birds. These were some kind of little wren or sparrow or something, making little nests and stuff. I mean, the Lord is providing. That's the thing in this prayer, of this Sabbath prayer, is the guy's recognizing that the God of the universe doesn't care for you. He cares for every single person in this room and every single person that you've never had a moment stop for in India and name whatever, stand, country, wherever. He cares about all them too and all the birds and all the bees and all the bugs and all the cattle and all the deer and all the everything that has animals and baby animals and has to feed them. And, and he provides food for all creation. And he says, hey, once a week, why don't you, uh, you know, remember me? And we say, well, that's Old Testament. I mean, we can, that's what the Old Testament people had to do. But, but look what, man, the most, the man after God's own heart, that's what God called him. And he says, what could I possibly give unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Well, what more, you know, <laughs> you know, when your kids are little, they want to do something for you. As they get older, they get over it. But when they're little, they really want it. They, and, and it's the same problem. They're like David. They want to give you everything they are, right? That's why they bring you these little goofy toys and, you know, and, and things. And they draw you little pictures and stuff and tell you how much they love you and stuff. They're, they're doing that. That's the same picture. The Father in heaven has given us exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think what can we possibly give to them but i'll tell you what i ain't gonna give to them i'm gonna give my time it's my time brother without him you have no time without without god there is no time what could i possibly give to him that he doesn't already possess he owns it all and when your kids bring you house we were talking about that about the back when i was young aqua velva was the smell right and so uh, we go to we we were broke, man. We didn't know what to get, Dad. And we get him this little four pack of four different flavors of aqua velva. You know, a yellow, a brown, a blue, and a red or something. And I don't know if he poured them down the sink because I don't think he wore them, but because he didn't want the dogs chasing them or whatever. But he, but you know, I mean, what could we get him? We didn't have no money. So we go to the store and we pitch in together, right? We buy the four pack of aqua velva. Like, Merry Christmas, Dad. It's like, thanks, kid. I'll turn around. He's like, you know? Well, you can't give him anything. He's got everything. He owns everything. God has all wealth. The cattle of a thousand hills, those cows that are out there eating your grass right now, Zach, me, you don't own those. You didn't, you didn't make them. He put the DNA in there. He put the, the semen in there. He put the egg in there. He made the calf. He made the calf come out alive. He made the mother to nurse the calf. And you put a hay bale out there, oh, these are my cows, are they? 
You didn't make them cows. That's what Obama said. You didn't make that. You didn't. God made it all. And he lets you be a, 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 a steward of it for a time. And I, and I have abundant cattle. If I'm hungry, I can go kill one. I'll go kill one of Zach's. Cattle everywhere. <laughs> no, I won't, Zach. Zach's giving me this, like, come on over. Let's see. <laughs> no, I mean, I, we have abundant meat. We have abundant vegetable. We have abundant sweet. We have abundant honey. We have abundant sugar, abundant good. What can I render to him in return? There's nothing that I can give. David's not asking what's the least he can give. What could I possibly give to a God that's done all this, all his benefits towards me? I know what I'll do. It says right there, 13. I'll take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Man, it's Friday night. Get the kids to the table, baby. Get the grape juice. Get the vino. We're going to have a toast to the Lord. I'm going to pick it up. The cup of blessing, I'm going to pick it up. And I'm going to talk to them in front of my kids, and I'm going to tell them, the Lord, he saved me. He was good, and he saved me. He saved you too. He gave us the opportunity to send his son. I mean, this is way, this is before the cross, man. This is a thousand years before the cross. And David knew that he needed someone to go between him and the Father. What can I do? What's enough? He's like, well, man, just raise a toast. I, I really think we're missing out on something there, not, not taking that time. Joshua 1.8, it says, I'll meditate on him day and night. He's my meditation day and night. Is your meditation day and night? Is your meditation once a week? I'm not trying to beat you up, because like I said, I really do. I'm, I'm fully aware of, of the number of people in this church that are so diligent to pray and people ask me some couple people ask me today man how can we be praying for you or what's the burdens that you're man i appreciate it i thank god for people that are are seeing the bigger picture in our time in our country in our world and things that are going on by god's grace we have a lot of those people here we're really blessed in that but this was this was david era this was way before christ paul in eight in acts 18 like like a lot of times people go and they really attack the sabbath thing and I think the main point of the attack is that um, it, because it's my day. That was an Old Testament thing. This doesn't really apply, apply to me and whatever. But I, I think that's what the main problem is. But like I said in, in 1 Corinthians 5.8, and again, it's somewhat taking it out of context. Read the whole thing. Be a Berean. But it says, therefore, let us keep the feast. Keep the feast without leaven. Now, he's talking about a couple of things there. But he's saying it's important you know, for you to shell off all that stuff that's in the world. Quit bringing that into the fellowship. But let's be continual in keeping the feast. If the feast of the Sabbath or the feast of the, of the Passover feast. But what I want to remind you is, is he's telling non-Jews to keep the feast. He's not telling Jews, yeah, go ahead, keep the feast. Now, if you go to Galatians, you'll see a, a, a one there about not getting obsessed with holy days and things like that. Yeah, I'm not saying add a bunch of legalistic burdens to yourself of not lifting more than your pinky can lift or walking more than a half mile and things like that. What I'm telling you is what percentage of your life is dedicated to keeping a moment with the Lord? And what's your focus with your children? I want to accomplish one thing this morning. It's not to convert a bunch of people into Seventh-day Adventists or, or Judaizers or anything like that. 
I'm just I'm just trying to help you see, you know, well what feast? What feast do you want us to keep there, Dale? What one? I mean keep one. Keep any. I don't know. Pick one. Start with the Sabbath. Start on a Friday night. And take the time to break bread, to stop with the sports and the t- turn the TV off and the radio and the Christian music in the back. Turn it all off and put the kids at the table and read Psalm 116. Say, what can I render to the Lord for all his good works towards me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and I'll praise his name. Start right there. Start there. Let's see where the conversation goes. Dad, lead in that. Mom, go over there, light a candle. And when you light the candle, you, you tell them about that Christ be coming in and being the light of the world. And then next week, do it again. And then next week, do it again. And the first month, they're going to give you a hard time. My, my kids do me whenever I come up with some harebrained scheme, like, why are we doing this? Why? But they all left, so I can do whatever I want now. <laughs> you know? But I'm saying, and here's the thing. I, I, will, I will give you this. I'm going to give you this one. I expect you to go do it. If you if, Don't come and argue with me until you've done this. Then you can come argue. Go back and see what the church did up to 300 A.D. When Constantine came and began persecuting the church and, and laying a heavy hand on them, they ditched a lot of these things. But up until 300, the church, Gentile and Jewish both, they kept the feasts. When Constantine came, they changed Passover to Easter. Or they did a number of things like that. Okay, They changed it from a Passover and a Sabbath meal to the, to the um, communion and so on. So go back and see. See if I'm telling you the truth. But the reality is, um, it ain't going to hurt you. And it sure is not going to hurt your family to have a special meal on a Friday night and focus your attention on the one who created all things, including you, all animals, and cares for them in his holy and sovereign will. It's not going to hurt you in any way. Um, and, and this is another thing I was kind of thinking about about that constant thing. And a particularly over time, through the dark ages, like Jed was talking about, with that time where we weren't allowed to read the Word. So many over centuries weren't allowed to read the Word. And even when they could, by 1400, when we got the Gutenberg Bible and so on, even in there, as they begin to read the Word, there was so much illiteracy that it was a burden to read the Word. And we're still relying on other people to tell us what the Word is. You got the Word. Read the Word. You got it all for yourself. Tell me whether or not the church has suffered from a lack of zeal since Constantine more than they had before Constantine when they were keeping the feast. Why have, why, they said that, I read an article, and it said that 25, the, the 25 or 30s and under in the United States, so-called evangelicals, people under 30, are the least theological sound of any Americans ever. Why? Well, because their parents are. Because their parents aren't keeping the feast. The parents aren't focusing them into the scripture reading. The parents aren't praying with them. I mean, I got my flaws. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what my kids are doing in that in some ways. But I'm telling you, we're missing an opportunity to lead our children and the following generations. And like I was telling you about, um, oh, brother, uh, yeah, Japanese, um, no, no, he was Chinese. Watch my knee. Watch my knee. And he said, he, he had to come to this realization one day that he was going to die, that he wasn't the last generation. I think a lot of times we think of ourselves as the last generation of Christians. So whatever happens, you know, whatever, we're all going to die and they're going to die and Russia's going to kill us all. and whatever. It is, We don't know. This could last for another 2,000 years. So go, make disciples of all nations, start in your home. 
and make disciples of your children, building them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, encouraging them to go forward because you're going to have, I pray, all you that are here, I pray that you see your children's children's children. I pray you see your great-great-grandchildren. And I pray that your great-great-grandchildren are as saved as you are because we fail them if they're not because we haven't passed on. I mean, you want traditions? Make that a tradition, passing on the Word of God to your great-great-great-grandchildren because then you know that your great-great-great-grandchildren are going to pass it on to their great-great-grandchildren. And a thousand years from now, there's still going to be little Smiths and Alvas and whatever running around that could, if they knew, that could trace their spiritual lineage back to you. But we've got to do something. You can't expect them to pick it up by osmosis if you're not actively teaching your children in the Word of God. They won't pick it up, I promise you. So every night, every Friday, like I said, the, the woman would begin... Um, slightly before sundown to light a light signifying God sending his light into the world and, uh, and in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup and as I think about that I don't think that's that bad of an idea and I hope you don't either it's just a way of weekly passing on that message of the cross to your children you know so look at your entire existence there measure it like Paul commands you to measure it See what is the most critical thing in your life to you. And you would say, well, it's not, this isn't that critical. And I've told you before, um, well, no, I could, you know, if I took your phone from you, I promise you there'd be a meltdown in the car soon. We are so attached to that thing. Young people, children, iPads and all that jazz. You're like, oh, no, I can take it or leave. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's replaced. It's replaced this place in you that used to yearn for Christ to fill it. We're really good at doing that. Dead was almost still your chicken people's thing, but Renetta watched it and told me the same thing, is that all they did, these, it's, a, it's a movie called Chicken People, right? Isn't that right? Documentary, yeah. And these people, like this one lady was kind of a drug addict or alcoholic, and all she did was replace the drugs with the raising of these exotic chickens and, and showing them in shows and stuff. It's what we did. It, it, okay, my, my old sin is whatever. My old sin is pornography. I'll just replace it with working on cars. My old sin is pornography. I'll just replace it with um, hunting, fishing, or something that takes up all my time and all my spare mental capacity, and I'll, I'll begin to read up on those things, and I'll get better at fly fishing, or I'll get better at whatever. Whatever the thing is, you're like, I'm going to get rid of this this vice, and I'll replace it with something else. But all you did was replace one vice with another vice. You left no room for God to dwell in you. There's no room in there. You've already filled it all up. And you say, I'm not going to take an extra day, a whole day, and set it aside and just sit around. I told you before, you got options. Go to the temple and whip Pharisees. You can do that on that day. You can eat. You can share the gospel. You can... You can uh, heal you can serve others there's all kind of stuff you can do on that day do whatever you want man use sunday well i don't really want to do saturday i have to work okay then use sunday but take a day and stop and worship the most high god like he commanded you to do and keep the feast keep the feast one way or another keep the feast let a man examine himself See if there's a desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection in your spirit. Is that there still? Or is it so pressed down by all the worries and I got to get this much done and I got this this weekend and then 
I got to get ready for Monday, so I got to accomplish these things. I got to whatever. Where does that fit? Fathers and mothers, does it dwell in you? Does Christ dwell in you to this point where your fear, one of my greatest fears, no kidding, and it's always been, is that my kids will fall away from the gospel, that they won't seek the Lord fully with their lives. It really eats me up. And so the kids don't like it, but then I get like overly focused on, well, when's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you prayed? Well, what'd you pray about? You know, or, you know and the kids are like, get off me, mans. It's a great fear. It's because I know what the option is. There's eternal life or eternal death, and you get, you, you get to choose, but you've got to choose this side of, of death. And there's also consequences from your actions day by day. And if I, can, if I can influence those in them towards following Christ, then that's what i got to do every day. And other parents are going to look at you like there's something wrong with you. And your kids... If you haven't been doing this, they're going to look at you like something's wrong with you. But I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when you're going to have to stand before the Lord and you're going to have to give an account, fathers, of how your children and your wife existed in this life. It's in Ephesians. You're going to have to. It says, I, I'm going to wash her daily in the Word. She might not like it sometimes. I'm going to take her. There you go, baby. You're ready to go for tomorrow. Daily. I mean, you gotta, you got to. It's a command. So do it. Um, let's see. So here's the here's the question. What is your measure of success for your children? That's the question. What's the measure of success for you in your life, for your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? What's the measure of success? Is it they'll be really good at sports? That they'll be really good with the ladies? Really good, have a really good spouse, have good grandkids? Um they'll be good in business, that they'll be financially sound, that they won't have to rely on another person for their... So I've heard that. Well, um, I can do anything a man can do. I, I'm, I'm as capable as any man. I can take care of myself. Okay. Well, that's not biblical at all, but whatever. But where's your spirit? Because that ain't going to matter at all if you are self-supporting and you live to be 100 years old and you're the richest woman on earth, but you died and go to the fiery pit and your kids died and went to the fiery pit and your kids after them and those kids after them. At some point, you've got to be the anchor and you've got to be stabbed down in the deep soil and you've got to hold the ship firm. Somebody's got to be the first one. Be the first one. Be the first one to have a communion meal in your home every Friday night. Be the first one. And here's, the, here's how it's going to work. If you're the first one, and your family is this individual little body of Christ with the priesthood identified there and the authority structure in the proper place, and the kids honoring their father and mother and the Lord for this is right, they may live long in the land and prosper. And if that's going on, right, and that's going on with this family, and then it's going on with this family, it's going on with that family, it's going on with the next family, and that family, and this family, and all, what's the body of Christ in this church look like? Because then this church is developing one another in the same way, building them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, edifying one another with songs, psalms, and spiritual song, hymns. Each one building on the other, reinforcing the structure. And before long, man, we got a, we got a, a superstructure going. And it's going to carry on through the generations. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Here's the vision. Here's the vision. Start in the home. Develop the children. Draw them, take them to the Lord every week. Not just on Sunday morning, but, but make it a part of what you do in your home. And 
And I just pray for the individual bodies of Christ that's in this room that it'll be the catalyst that brings these young people and these children that are here, that they'll have a fervent zeal, more fervency, more zealousness than we had ourselves to continue the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the generations that we see here. Man, this building will come and go. It's about to fall down now. The roof is anyway. <laughs> but it's going to come and go. And we're going to come and go. But the word of the Lord stands forever. We can see the generations of Christians in the kingdom of God continue on if we begin to build in them today. Father, this morning before we go to communion, Lord, I, I do ask for your mercy upon us. And I pray for these families here, Lord, that the fathers would be diligent, vigilant, that the mothers would, would desire above all else, above all the, the fun and the cute stuff and the nice clothes and the nice homes and the making the kids nice and clean and all those things, Lord. Those are all important, Lord, but more so, Lord, that they would be tenderly caring for the spirit and the hearts of their children, pointing them towards you. Lord, forgive us for not reckoning your, your day of rest as important. Lord, I pray today that hearts are convicted in that and that they'll look at the word and they'll search it out for themselves and see if it be so. But I pray, Lord, today as we, as we read this word, Lord, that you will be glorified by its reading. I pray that the word that was given was the word you had for us today, Lord. I'm grateful for these that are here, Lord. I am grateful for the spirit of these that are here, that they be encouraged, Lord. We can't go back. We can't fix the things that we failed in the past. We can't do anything about that, Lord. We give those to you. If we confess them to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from that. Lord, we give you those things in the past where we failed our children, where we said things we shouldn't have said, where we weren't the best example, where we failed our wives and our husbands. Lord, we give those to you now, Lord, and ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray now, Lord, that you would use us in turn and mend us and heal us and purify us and cleanse us for your use, your usefulness and the growth of your kingdom, Lord, primarily in our families first, Lord and from our families to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your care for us, your long-suffering, your patience towards us, Lord. Thank you for this place and these that have come, Lord. I pray now as we prepare to, to break bread together, Lord, that you would be in our midst and as you would guide and lead in that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, while the men are getting communion ready, I'm going to ask Jed. I, so I printed off this thing. It's in Hebrew, so all you got to do is learn to read Hebrew, okay? No, I'm kidding. It's got it in English underneath, and it's just a little short version of a, of a, of a Sabbath, just how to open a Sabbath. And so I want you to just take that, and you guys can try it out. It's a five-minute thing. And so maybe you can work on that this week.